today. Uh, you've probably noticed that we've uh, uh, implemented uh, a lot of uh, congregational reading and sacred readings, and uh, this is just one way that some folks really grow in their time of worship. And so it is an honor that all of you are here, and uh, we're going to get into in just a moment uh, this spiritual pathway called the traditionalist, and we're going to talk about what that means. And for some of you, like today, this is a great Sunday uh, because you love responsive reading. I know Heather and I were really looking forward to today because this is, this is our spiritual pathway. It's solitude and sacred reading, but uh, it really is an important thing to look at this morning, and I hope to just open up this door and also want you to know, uh, which we've talked about, if you look at uh, each one of you should have a handout, and it has those pathways, that what these spiritual pathways are twofold. Number one is hopefully you'll identify like that's how I draw close to God. Like when I'm going through a difficult time or when I feel closest to God, there is a pathway. The other thing is don't ever be afraid to try another spiritual discipline. You may say, well, that's not for me. Well, you don't know unless you try it. And that's the beauty of a spiritual discipline. It may open up something in you that you didn't even know was there. And so that's what this is all about. Let's pray, and then we'll dig right in. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful day it is. And we just thank you for this privilege that we have to honor you. Just think of those words, holy, 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 that you are set apart. You, God, are worthy of worship in a world that is this desperately trying to get our attention. You are God, and you love us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I hope uh, last week some of you accepted the challenge and I'll let you know we've got some of these prayer pie handouts available at the Welcome Center. Uh, but again, if you weren't here, uh, we talked about the spiritual discipline of prayer and praise. And prayer uh, we actually have a tool for you, and it's called Prayer Pie. How many of you love pie? And you love prayer? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. So, I mean, that, that is just good stuff. Now, last Sunday night then, uh, we gather here, and uh, we walk through just a few slices of pie, prayer pie. Heather led us in praise, and uh, we had probably uh, close to 60 people. And I'm telling you, that was just one of the most uh, powerful things as we prayed about heaven, and we prayed about just lifting God up, and uh, prayer is an amazing thing to do. And the challenge last week was is to get away for at least one hour and try walking through the prayer pie. So uh, here's what I had to do for myself. I know you're not wired this way, but I knew if I didn't schedule this at the beginning of the week, it wasn't going to happen. And so I scheduled a meeting with God. And that was a great meeting. He showed up. He was right on time. I showed up. He was proud of me. And I sat there at McCormick's Creek. And uh, I asked the people next to me, hey, would you like to pray? I didn't do that at all. But anyway, uh, I want to challenge you. If you haven't do it, try it this week. And uh, it, uh, it will encourage you, I guarantee you. And you'll be surprised. The hour will go by. Uh, the other thing that helped me is I just took up paper and when I got to the five minutes said praying for family, I just said, God, open up the doors of who I should pray for. And I mean, I'm telling you, there were people who came to mind I hadn't thought about in years. And I know that's God moving through prayer. So I want to challenge you this week to get into prayer. And uh, we're going to talk about this uh, idea of what a traditionalist is. Uh, 
first of all, there's actually two spiritual pathways. The first one is the eccentric, and we're not going to get deep into that, but that is where you draw closest to God through times of silence and solitude. So what is your favorite part of the church service? Well, it's actually our prayer time. It's communion, a time when you can reflect. Silence brings you strength. Um, you draw strength when you're driving to work and you don't want the music on. Where the prayer is like pounding, who is this telling me that? Jane was pounding the wheel, listening to praise music. The solitude is, I want complete quiet. It's like when you drop your kids off, those of you that have preschoolers, and you're like, oh, I love you. I can't say I'm turning the radio. I just want silence. How many of you ever said that in your house or like, I just crave silence? And I tell you what, that is golden. That is golden, that in that silence, you're allowing God to speak. Um, one of my favorite things to do, which is odd, I'm sure some of you picked up on this, um, is mowing the yard. Because it is awkward. Yeah, it is. It is weird. I guess it's watching Marie mow the yard. But anyway, it's, but when I'm mowing the yard, because there's this time, now I'm unplugged. And in that silence, I'm actually listening. And God can do amazing things through silence. But then there's the traditionalist. Now, I'd like you to listen carefully to the definition. A traditionalist, they're fed by what is often called the historic dimensions of faith. Rituals, symbols, meditation, sacraments, acts of sacrifice. For a traditionalist, they have a deep need for ritual and structure to bring peace in a world of chaos. Now, I want you to think about that. They want structure to find peace in a world of chaos. Now, we would all agree that we live in a chaotic world. And so a traditional says, I draw close to God when I can pull away and I can put structure in my life. So, for example, I want to really meditate on a sacred writing. Or I want to take a section of God's word, and I don't want to just rush through it. I really want to let God's word speak to me. I made a mistake five or six years ago. Uh, Donna Pruitt, who works at Sherwood Oaks, she said, Hey, John, there's a Bible out, and it's called Read the Bible in 100 Days. So over the summer, it's Read the Bible in 100 Days. And uh, I'll do it if you do it. And I said, Oh, yeah, let's try that. Okay, you know what happens, don't you? You get about three days behind. You're not reading the Bible. You're just literally scanning it. Eh, David, Moses, Jesus, good. I'm good. You know, I mean, you just, you're not, okay. A tradition would be like, why would you do, why wouldn't you have just literally taken one small book of the Bible and just read a few verses every day? Structure. So this morning, we're going to look at the three elements that a traditionalist will follow. This is how you know this is your spiritual pathway. Number one is ritual. Ritual. Psalms 1, 2, and 3 says this, But those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do prospers. Now, if you're reading God's word with me this morning, that word meditation, I'd love for you to highlight that in your Bible. Highlight that. 
And uh, the word picture is this in the Hebrew, is that of a cow chewing its cud. Isn't that an odd word picture? But if you watch a cow chewing the cud, you know, or it kind of looks like a junior high kid at lunch. I mean, they're just, you know, they're just chewing it, chewing it, chewing it. Now, why are they chewing it so slow? Well, the nutrients, but they don't get in a hurry. Now, here's the beauty of going through God's Word and not flying through God's Word. Ritual says, no, really allow God's Word to start to sink in and actually learn to meditate on it, which means, here's one that is hard for a lot of folks, actually memorizing God's Word. That you may take some scripture every week and say, I'm going to memorize this, and I'm just going to chew on it. I'm just going to chew on it and chew on it and allow God's Word to do what only God's Word can do. Somebody who is uh, moving towards ritual is pursuing consistency and routine, and that is a good thing. They pray through sacred readings. They, again, read scripture. In the early church, and write these scriptures down. This is so cool. In the early church, they had a tradition. Every morning, and they had this memorized, they would recite Psalm 62, and then before they went bed at night, they would recite Psalms 140. Isn't that interesting? They'd wake up every day, and they would share this psalm with one another, and before they went to bed at night, they would share another psalm. And those psalms have to do with protection and God's authority and God's power and God's refuge for us. We all need that, to be reminded every morning and every evening God is in control. Now, here's where people are critical of the word tradition. Even Sherwood Oaks, I'm sure you're aware of this, uh, at Sherwood Oaks East, at 8 o'clock, anybody, we have a traditional service, and then we have a contemporary. And to be honest, I think God's going, you've got to be kidding. We have a jazz service. We have a reggae service. I mean, I mean, really? Do we just have to have, a, you know, we get so hung up on musical styles. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about a traditionalist, a traditionalist, it's not about a musical style. A traditionalist is like, I want to get back to the basics of God's word. Now, some people are critical about that. They're like, oh, my line, you're just stuck in your ways. You're stuck in routine. The churches should always be flexible, always moving forward. You know, the same people, that's what cracks me up. First of all, how many of you are sitting in the same seat you sat in last week? <laughs> you, you all are, you know, except your visitors. And if you're, have you ever gone, I've talked about, have you ever been a visitor going to a church that have been asked to move because you're sitting? Yeah, that's happened. Not here. Probably has happened here, but I mean, you get so, but let's talk about routines for just a second. We all are creatures of habit. Uh, can I pick on men and women separately? Sure. Okay. Let's pick on women <laughs> first, first, first. Okay. Let me just throw out Christmas. Do you have any traditions? Do you have any things that you do the same way every year? Marie and I, one of the funniest things when we used to do pre-marriage counseling with young couples, it's cracked me up. And uh, we would always ask a couple of questions, and, you don't, and I could always tell you're in trouble if they didn't answer these effectively. One was, do you know who's going to do the budget? And they'd look at each other. Uh, we still have each other. It doesn't matter. Trust me. Figure that out before you walk out. Who's going to do the budget? Who's going to handle the money? Trust me, that's an issue. And then here's one I always ask. Have you already talked about your holiday traditions with your families? Oh, that's not important. You're not going to make it, you know. You better talk about this right now, because let me tell you, you may not think it's important. It's important. Would you all agree? So every Christmas rolls around. Do you not have traditions? Absolutely. It's the same thing with us. 
when we get into God's Word, we ought to have traditions. Man, let's pick on you. The same guy that says, you know, the church, they have all those crazy traditions. They sing hymns. I don't even like to sing. And then this guy preaches. I don't like him. I just don't like the whole experience. I don't like somebody telling me what to do. I don't like the routine of it. That same guy wants to say, yeah, and what if I, you, change their candy stripe warm-up jerseys? What if Green Bay decided, I don't like these colors? What if Yankee fans said, we're giving up on the pinstripes? Whoa, that's sports blasphemy. No, you don't. You don't mess with. Okay, if we're honest, aren't we all creatures of habit? And to be honest, isn't it awesome that when you come to church, you know you're going to experience prayer. You're going to have an opportunity to break bread with the community, that you're going to sing praises to God that you're going to hear from God's word. Let me tell you, those traditions, they matter. They matter a lot. And I'll just be honest, since we're being honest with one another, why get hung up about the music styles? Do you know there is more controversy in churches over the style of music? I mean, these songs, the most important thing is what? Listen to the words. Look at the lyrics, and they they are beautiful. Whether it is a, a song that was written... 300 years ago or a song that was written last week, if you follow those words and it's moving in your heart, man, that's an awesome place to be. Joshua 1.8 says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate, there it is again, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Um, Let me give you a I'm going to give you a couple of challenges throughout this message. Here's one. If you've never been there, it's a 24-hour experience, is go down to St. Minard. And there's a monastery there, and you can stay there. And call ahead. I think it's like $75. And uh, the monks, uh, not the monks, the priests, they have times that they have times of worship. Uh, There's prayer stations. uh, And and honestly, anybody can go. I had a good friend. I met him uh, last year, and we... We went down there, and it's just a very peaceful place. And you kind of get this idea of slowing down and meditating. The second uh, line of thought that's so important is symbols. It's not just ritual, but it's symbols. In Genesis 12, you know this, in verses 7 through 8, uh, it said that the Lord appeared to Abram, which, as you know, became Abraham, and Abraham then built an altar to the Lord. That altar was important. It was a place of memorial. Uh, a few years ago, I've had the honor to do this twice, is to go to Gettysburg. If you've never done that, please do that. And uh, they have guides that will ride with you in your car, pay the extra money to put a guide in the car to walk you through everything that happened there. But they have the spot there in Gettysburg uh, near the cemetery where Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address. And I can just tell you, as a kid from Illinois, standing in that spot, and I just think, man, Abraham Lincoln stood here to deliver probably, arguably, the the most uh, famous speech a president ever delivered. There are spots of history that some of you have stood in, and you've thought the same thing. Some of you have been to the Holy Land, and you've stood in spots like, I think Jesus may have stood here. Can you imagine that there are places like that? You and I have what I would call places of holiness, places where God came so alive in your life 
and uh, you get near them, and you just feel the presence of God. Well, let me tell you, uh, throughout Scripture, when that happened, they would have a, uh, a monument, or basically they would build an altar so that everyone would remember something significant took place here. Matter of fact, uh, there's a famous song, and it's been uh, popularized, and uh, the song is Come Thou Fount. It's a hymn. Have you heard the song Come Thou Fount? Good, good, seven of you. But um, it was by Robert Robinson. It was then updated by Chris Rice, and uh, uh, I'd like to sing it for you. Uh, if you're visiting, I'm not going to do that. So here's this person. Come Thou Fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Now here's where it gets tricky. And here I raise my Ebenezer, have thereby great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. There I rise my what? Ebenezer. And even when I was a kid, I'm like, is Scrooge in the house? I mean, what? What is this Ebenezer? Okay, do you know what an Ebenezer is? It's mentioned at least three times in Scripture. It's a memorial stone. It's a stone, that, it's a stone of help. And it was a place that the Israelites, when they would come across an Ebenezer, they knew something significant happened there. What's interesting, if you would look at 1 Samuel 4 and then 1 Samuel 7, one time an Ebenezer is lifted up. In other words, an altar, a stone of help was placed there. It represented a time when the Philistines defeated the Israelites. So the nation would gather around, and maybe a, a teacher would say, at this very place that you're standing, the Israelites lost a great battle because they didn't have faith in God. Now, I want you to think about the United States. Are there memorials in this country of something tragic that happened? Absolutely. Uh, we had a chance to go out to Oklahoma City years ago. If you've never seen that monument, oh, that'll just tear your heart out. And uh, it, it, just is, it just awakens you what evil can do. Why is that monument there? Isn't that a day we want to forget? Uh, some of you have been out to Pearl Harbor. You know, not every monument is a victory. Sometimes we need monuments to say, wait a second, something tragic happened here. But then you get into 1 Samuel 7, and it's a monument uh, an Ebenezer that represents the Israelites defeating the Philistines because they repented. They pleaded for forgiveness. And so the teacher could say, right here in this very spot, the Israelites figured it out. They better get right with God. You see, we need things in our life, symbols, to help us. Chad Napier said this in Christianity.com. The stone of Ebenezer should signify to us that trusting in anything or anyone short of Christ is a precursor to failure. That's what symbols help us to do. Now, in the Christian faith, don't we have a symbol called the cross? And when you see that symbol, or some of you have a cross necklace, and maybe you hold that when you pray, what is that signifying? That symbol is helping you with your relationship with Christ. And those symbols can be important. Some things in life are keepsakes, aren't they? Uh, I share with you, Marie and I, um, uh, we just moved a couple weeks ago, and <clears throat> we're in Owen County. Matter of fact, I just learned, experienced something in Owen County, and it's a beautiful thing. You can burn anything you want. <laughs> you know, and uh, the other day, I, I had a pretty good, pretty good fire, I'm telling you, you know, and uh, I saw a neighbor coming across the yard, and I thought, I got busted. I'm not having been here a week, and I've already got busted, 
and he was yelling something. I'm not sure what he's yelling. And finally, I could hear him. And what he was yelling is, you need to wait to the fall. Then you can have a huge fire. I'm like, uh, I kissed him. It was awkward. But anyway, um, <laughs> you've been through this. Haven't you? When you're moving and you go through this purging, we're going through, and I'm worse than Marie, to be honest with you. And I'm going through, and she's like, why are you keeping this? That, that baseball represents my first home run I ever hit. Yeah, that's going in the fire. I mean, so we start, and it was interesting yesterday, like how many things I'm watching, like things that at one time I thought, that was so, that's a keepsake. You see what I'm saying? That's not Ebenezer. Ebenezer is God moved in such a powerful way, and you never want to forget that. Now, here's what you got to be careful. And believe it or not, churches can battle this that have been around a long time. They fall in love with the furniture in the church more than the people in the church. Do you know churches can split over things like a communion table? They can split over the stained glass. And if it says, this was what? Dedicated by, you know, Abraham Lincoln or whoever. And I was like, oh, we, we, that has, okay. That's not what God meant. That's not, that's not an Ebenezer. Not at all. We need to realize that that's a danger to, to actually worship an item over the creator of the universe. But then the last thing this morning is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Gary Thomas, who wrote the book we've been using called The Pathways, The Spiritual Pathways, shared this personal story of his own life, which I, I'm so glad he shared this because it shows you the human side of uh, this, this guy who's so into the spiritual disciplines. He said he was reading a book before he got on a plane, and the book, the book was called Ministering to Families in the 21st Century. That's a catchy title, isn't it? And uh, so he's thinking to himself, you know, I need to be creative on how I minister to families in the 21st century. You know, it's still in the book. You know what I'm saying? He's reading it. Good idea. And then he gets on the plane, and it's kind of loud. People are sitting and just as he's sitting down, he realizes there's a mother, and she has this child that's kind of screaming. And his first thought wasn't, you know, Jesus loves this child. The first child, the thought was, get the kid out of it. You know, so, but he said, you know, maybe I need to minister to this mother. So he said, is, is the problem you're not sitting together? And she said, yeah, for some reason, uh, you're between us. And he said, I'll tell you what, you let your child sit in by the window. And he thought, see, I'm putting what I've learned into practice. He felt pretty good about himself. She said, well, I have another child on the plane. Oh, where's that child? In the back. He looked. He was sitting by the bathroom. And he thought, you've got to be kidding. I've already acted like Jesus once. I mean, and so he said, would you like me to switch seats? Oh, you didn't even finish the sentence. That would be so cool. Little kid runners up. He sits by. If you've ever sat in that chair, that seat, by the bathroom on a plane, great place to sit. And I mean, that... That's the joy right there. And so as he's walking back, he thought, it's one thing to read about ministering to a family in the 21st century. It's another to take the lessons from the book and put it into motion. Does that sound familiar? You read God's word, and you're like, that is so good. And then you get into your day, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. He wants me to do that. And that's what I want to talk about in just a few minutes here. I want to talk about something in this book that is intense, and it's difficult, and maybe something some of you have never experienced, and I want to challenge you in this spiritual discipline. And it's, a, it's an example of sacrifice. 
and it comes straight out of Isaiah 58. So if you've got your scriptures, turn with me. If not, you just can follow along. Isaiah 58. And in this text, he's going to talk about the discipline of fasting. Okay, so just listen. Verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Isn't that a great question? Lord, I'm fasting. Do you not see what we're doing? Just think about how uh, arrogant that is. Why we have humbled ourselves, and you haven't noticed. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as as you please. This is the Lord speaking. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrels and strife, and in striking each other. With wicked fists, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day of acceptance to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? And then he says, in other words, I want you to fast this way. I want you to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. It's not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor, the wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, you clothe them. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be at your rear guard. And then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. See, a traditionalist will get deep in the word, and then they'll say, you know what? Part of my growth comes from giving something up. It's sacrificing. Now, this is not a popular concept in the church, is it? Um, what is it we're willing to give up? And so in Scripture says, well, the most basic, difficult thing to give up is what we eat. And then he outlines in Isaiah 58, uh, here's the wrong way to go about a fast. Number one, you do as you please. That's not what a fast is all about, doing what you please. Or you exploit those around you. In other words, you're praying for others and you're looking good for the outsiders but you don't really care about anyone. And then he says, and then what's crazy is you end up quarreling and fighting, which is grounded in pride. It's interesting, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a very similar parable, the sheep and the goats. And people are saying, Lord, we never saw you. He says, oh, yeah, you saw me. You looked across the street, and somebody was hungry. You didn't give them any food. You looked across town, and you saw people who needed clothes. You were so selfish, you didn't give him any clothes. No, I was there all the time. You just ignored me. And then in the New Testament, do you remember who Jesus got frustrated with the most? The Pharisees. And what was it they were guilty of? Well, they fasted like they should have, except what? They did it in public so everybody could see. We need to realize that fasting is a spiritual discipline that's difficult, but it can be a way for us to shine the light of Christ. And the coolest thing, nobody needs to know about it. Matter of fact, nobody really should know about it. That's the way a fast should be conducted. There's a great book called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough by Elmer Towns. And uh, what he pointed out in this book, which I love, is that if you go through scriptures, and he gave at least nine character studies 
on different Bible characters who fasted, and there was always a very specific reason they fasted. And of all the fasts, there's one reason they never fast, that people fast in the United States. Anybody want to guess what it is? There's never a thou shalt fast to lose 10 pounds for the high school reunion. That's not in there. But isn't that why people fast most of the time? It's like, you know, I'm trying to connect with God, and I'd like to lose 7 pounds. You know, let's be honest. Why are we fasting? They said there are times in life that's exactly what you need to do. It's exactly what I need to do, to pull aside and say, God, I'm going to set aside some time to fast. Now, food is the given, but there are other things at times we need to fast from. Anything that's dominating your time, and you can just feel it starting to master you, you might want to set aside some time and say, I need to give that up for three or four days and just see if that really has the grip on me that I think it does, and you'll be surprised. God wants all of us to practice this spiritual discipline. It isn't just for the traditionalist. It's for all of us. So maybe God is whispering in your ear, you're on your iPhone too much. Or maybe you're in a hurry too much. Uh, I read about uh, one way to discipline yourself is take an entire week and simply tell yourself, I'm going to do the following things. I'm going to drive in the slow lane the entire week, and when I go shopping, I'm going to get in the longest line, and I am going to intentionally slow down. How many of you right now are getting nauseous? Like, oh, <laughs> no. Okay. There are areas in life, uh, there may be a hobby or something that's controlling your time. You're like, God, I need to give that up for a season. A few years ago, uh, I started, it's been a long time now, but before we go into Easter season, I've always been with groups of men that will go through anywhere from a one to three day fast. And uh, one year, we were doing a 48 hour fast, and I shared this concept. And uh, it was interesting. Some of the guys said, I I'm going to do the food. I'm, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm just going to drink juice, and, and I'm going to focus these two days. Some of the guys were like, you know what? I got to walk away from uh, cable news, man. I, I just, I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm not going to watch any news, and I just, no TV. For, and one college student said, I talk too much, which we agreed. You know, he said, I just talk too He goes, I'm going to go 48 hours, and I'm not going to speak. I'm going to be silent. I'm going to carry a little board. And we're like, oh, that's great. Behind the scenes, we're like, he'll never, you know. And he did it. And we're like, Wow. He didn't say one word. He goes, no, I just would, if I had to, I'd take out this little whiteboard. That was odd, but didn't get any dates. But anyway, I, I wrote up. But he said, man, it forced me to go in. And I got to tell you, I didn't like what I saw. And I realized the reason I talk so much is I'm so insecure. Man, I need to get right with God. That's what fasting will do. That's what this portion of sacrifice in life will do. We know that Jesus was even asked by the religious leaders, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus said, because the time hasn't come yet. But there will come a time after the resurrection. And he wasn't just talking to disciples. He was talking to all of us that fasting should be a regular practice in all of our lives. But we do know that there is one specific time that Jesus had an extended fast. Anybody know when that was? Right before his public ministry. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. Now imagine that. I've met two humans in my life 
that have completed a 40-day fast. Uh, and I'm here to tell you, it is, it is intense. And Jesus did it because of what he knew what was coming. You read about it in those temptations, and there were three major temptations. The first was, can you imagine this? Uh, in the midst of a 40-day fast, at the end of it, and Satan tempted him with bread. Just turn that rock into bread. Bread. I mean, if you're really hungry and somebody's baking fresh bread, oh, my land. You don't even have to be hungry. No. <laughs> and what's Jesus do? He says, no, I'm not going to give in to that. Always quoting scripture. Second temptation, jump from the temple. In other words, pride. Let's see what you've got, Jesus. You ever hear people say, I got this. Sometimes I'm like, quit saying that. You don't have it. God's got it. And Jesus said, don't tempt me with, I can do that. But do you remember what the last temptation was? Uh, it was to basically look over all the kingdoms and say, Jesus, you don't have to go through with this. In other words, take a shortcut. You don't have to do what's right. Why don't you do what's easy? And it was in the midst of this fast that Jesus was like, I will never do that to dishonor my father. It clarified what Jesus was all about. It can do that for all of us. So as you're sitting here today and you hear about ritual and you hear about symbols and you hear about sacrifice, in just a moment, we're going to have a very special communion, and Doug's going to be coming up here to get things prepared. I want to just challenge you with this, that spiritual disciplines are actually our friends. I really want to encourage you to read and study on spiritual disciplines and pray about how you can start implementing some of these disciplines in your life because they draw you to a deeper relationship with Christ. Don't run from them. Don't say, I don't do that. You know, I hear people say, I don't like to memorize scripture, or um, I'm so proud of Heather, but even like these congregational readings, you may be like, I don't feel comfortable with that. That's okay. But never back away from these spiritual disciplines. Celebrate these disciplines because of what God can do through those. Let me pray before we go into communion. Heavenly Father, there's some here today that... Uh, that through ritual and through symbols and through sacrifice have really experienced you at a deeper level. So, Lord, help us not to walk away from disciplines, but to realize what they're designed to do. Thank you for loving us so much that there are countless ways that we can be in your presence. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.